episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellon. Today's episode sheds a light on one New Mexico man's journey to connect to his spirituality and the land through distance running. I actually fell in love with running when at a very young age. Um, the, the unique thing about the Pueblo communities here in the Southwest is that we culturally running is very traditional. Um, and anything that we do pretty much on a traditional level involves some type of running. Um, so I kind of fell in love with it at that early age, um, but we also had um, cross country meets between other Pueblo communities with kids that ranging from six years old up to uh, 12 years old. Um, and we would run various distances depending on their age group. So I started off, I think like at a quarter of a mile and then worked my way up to a mile. Um, but that's kind of where I found the love for running. I, mean, I was never that fast at a young age, you know, but I enjoyed it. I enjoyed just being out there and, and running. Um, it was not until I think when I started getting in, getting into the longer distances, like the mile is when I started uh, really getting more competitive in the sport. Um, uh, I, I remember I got, in, I got beat by like, I don't know, maybe two seconds. It was the first race of the season. And I was like, I'm never going to let anybody beat me again. And after that race, I, I demolished the competition at every single meet. <laughs> so I got pretty competitive at a young, uh, young age. I think I was probably like 11 years old, 10 years old at the time. And tried to carry that through up until, until high school and was really serious about competing at a collegiate level by my sophomore year. Dylan Shihei, born among the Zia Pueblo, always found that running connected him to his surroundings. Since he was young, prayer runs were a staple of his morning. So prayer runs can either be both individual or in a group. Um, it really depends on the goal or the activity that we're trying to fulfill. Um, as far as being an individual, usually for myself, it's like an everyday, every morning type of thing for me um, that I was told by our elders um, that to get up in the morning and go for a run and pray, um, pray for that the day will go smoothly for everybody. Um, that the, the the be thankful for that the sun has uh, has risen. Um, so stuff like that that I was taught, and also that all the good energy is out there in early in the morning. So I will I will get up uh, five thirty six o'clock in the morning and run before school. Uh, especially in high school, I would get up even earlier because I had to commute and my mom would follow me early in the morning. Um, so it's just being out there and being in harmony with, with the, your surroundings and the land and just being thankful. When Shihei was in high school, he was selected as one of three focuses of a documentary called Run to the East, which sought to follow three indigenous high school distance runners through their seasons. It encapsulated not only their lives on the track, 
but also the daily turmoil of trying to succeed when the odds are stacked against you. For one of the girls, Tails, the only peers she saw succeeding in school were her teammates. Cross Country kept them out of trouble. They hit their deadlines and maintained their grades because without their academic eligibility, these students had a minuscule chance of graduating high school. It kind of started off um, with Wings of America, uh, which is a nonprofit organization out of Santa Fe. Um, so they <clears throat> recruit uh, Native, Native American athletes uh, to participate at the U.S. cross-country championships, the junior cross-country championships. Since 1988, Wings of America runners have captured 32 team titles at the U.S. Track and Field National Junior Olympic Cross-Country Championships. The Santa Fe-based nonprofit sponsors coaching clinics and camps for indigenous youth runners across the United States. Shihei, a junior in 2008, was lauded as the top Native American runner in the country. There was an individual from Santa Fe uh, by the name of Joe Springer who wanted to write a story in the New York Times uh, regarding Native American athletes and the challenges that we face on the reservation. And uh, using running as a catalyst to, to promote health and wellness and get to the next uh, steps in our, our education. And this article came out on the day of the race. Um, I believe we're racing in San Diego in I think it was 2008. Um, and somebody from New York actually picked up that article, read it, uh, his name was Henry Liu. And he kind of got in contact with, uh, with the, the director and wanted to follow three um, Native athletes that were very uh, in tune with their, their culture and, and wanting to have that success in, in their future. Lou crafted a story which went on to win Best Sports Film at the 2011 Red Nation Film Festival, an annual event held during American Indian Heritage Month in Los Angeles. It also collected the same award at the Colorado Springs Film Festival. It, it did die pretty well into my daily life, life livelihood, I, I guess you could say, you know, um, as far as cultural stuff, it, it got into it a little bit, but not as much because for us as Pueblo people, we're pretty um, private with with what we do, what we do with things in, 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 the, in the cultural sense, traditionally. Um, we try to keep that to ourselves, but there are certain things where we allow outside community, community to, to come in and, and participate and view what, what we do. But um, it, it dived pretty well um, with, with how I grew up, how I was raised, you know, I lived, we live uh, multi-generational. Um, that lifestyle so my grandparents live in the same house my parent my mother lived in the same house with her sisters um which which is pretty much every every um family kind of lives that way multi-generational um which can be tough at the same time because we don't have as much space you know and that's where the opportunities and the lack of resources kind of come into play um the lack of infrastructure um, to build homes or to build like apartment compl complexes for, for up and coming families. So that is something that I look towards as well and how I can be a better leader in bringing those resources, especially for these younger kids so that they can have space and grow and, and feel a lot more free. 
Run to the East also exposed the inherent poverty and alcoholism that reservation life entails. That lack of infrastructure is what causes only half of all New Mexico Native Americans to graduate from high school. In Navajo, New Mexico, a mere 4% of its population has a bachelor's degree, and 60% of those who attend colleges and universities do not graduate. In a town of 900 people, Shihei saw the opportunity that distance running afforded him to escape the negative stereotypes. Out of middle school going into transitioning into high school, and I went to school on the reservation, there was about 15 students, and pretty much all of us went to high school. But out of that 15, there was probably only like four that went off to college, and only two of us that actually graduated from, from a university. Um, so in a sense, that was also something that, that I really kind of thought about too um, when I was making that choice to go off to, to college. You know, I wanted to be that example for this younger generation to know that there's somebody from home that can make it up to this, to this level in their education or even their athletics. And hopefully that will be motivating for them too um, to want to reach that or aspire to, to get to that goal, but even aspire for more. A trip to a summer running camp proved to be the roadmap to Shihei's goal. I actually went to a summer running camp in Colorado uh, as Jay Johnson's running camp. He'll, running camp. He was a former uh, CU Boulder or CU Buff. Um, he ran for the team, but he held a running camp. Um, I think this was at 2005 I think I was going into my sophomore year and I went up there because I wanted to improve as an athlete uh, little did I know that they would set me up in a room that I woke up to the flat flat irons every morning and the sun is just glistening off of them and it was so beautiful that I was like I can see myself coming here I mean I, I knew how good the program was and I was like I can see myself here. This is where I want to be. And this is where I'm going to work towards. And so I went back, um, back, in, uh, back to school that, that fall. And I really pushed myself and, and started running really a lot faster. And it was just a lot more motivation and determination to, to get to, to the next level, a lot more discipline. I felt in myself and got really competitive and just my attitude kind of just changed and, yeah, I just envisioned myself running for, for the University of Colorado. She had kept in contact with Colorado head coach Mark Wetmore and won him over by actually asking for a chance to prove himself. That was well received. That was one of the reasons why he actually reserved me a spot. I talked to him after. I was like, why did you give me that opportunity? He said, well, <laughs> normally I get a lot of kids' parents reaching out to me telling me why their, their son or daughter should run for me. But you, on the other hand, told me why you wanted to run for me. And that's the type of athlete that I want. That's the type of athlete that prospers here at the University of Colorado. So and it was just like amazing that, I mean, he wants an individual that seeks that opportunity for themselves. When she had moved to Boulder, a town of nearly 100,000 people, the culture shock didn't set in immediately. It was like a delayed onset of homesickness. I, uh, my, my freshman year, year, I was actually really excited to be 
at CU and, and getting the uniform. And that was like an emotional part for me, like actually having that uniform in my hands and, and like putting it on and looking at myself in the mirror and being like, I actually made it, I have it, I'm here. And just being so excited. But it was my sophomore year where I actually started to get homesickness. Um, and that, that, that fall, I think it was just with being so wanting to, to see my family and being homesick, my, my grades kind of fell apart that year. Um, and I remember going into academic probation for that fall semester and it was really tough. Like I, I was still running okay. I was actually uh, fighting for a varsity position. Actually, I, would, I was running varsity at that time. I registered my freshman year and ran varsity my second year. And yeah, it, it was just kind of a tough, tough moment. Like just that, that shock of actually like finally everything else, the excitement kind of calmed down. And then I was like, finally like, oh shoot, like where am I at right now? You know, like who am I gonna reach out to with certain situations or challenges that I have? Like nobody really understands the mindset that I have coming as, as a Native American. So that, that was the tougher part was my, uh, my sophomore year and kind of showed in my grades. And yeah, I had to communicate that to my family and my, my coach. And luckily he was really supportive too. Uh, my coach you know, was like a mentor to me. And that spring season, I uh, got my grades back up and was back on track. <laughs> got out of that pickle. So yeah, it was, it was tougher in my sophomore year. He also found a group of like-minded fellow buffs who shared his native roots. I actually was was part of um, a native uh, student group on campus called Oyate, which means uh, the people, we the people. Um, and we held events. Um, it was not necessarily events that my Pueblo community did, um, but it was other things that we did like we we had i like comedians come by i don't know if they've ever heard of 1491s as a comedic group uh they're indigenous and we had them come by and do some some bits and which was really good and, and joyful uh getting that uh <laughs> that uh that res life type of uh laugh you know <laughs> um also we also had other um, musical performance performers come by as well. So that was good too, you know, to have. Um, but for myself, like I always participated at home. So, and I've learned songs. And so I would sing songs to myself. I would take drives out into the mountains and just sit there and sing, you know, try to kind of be in nature. You know, that, that was something that kind of helped me refocus um and then i'll often call my father and try to talk to him in our language and, and learn new new words um uh, and, and try to try to keep that going you know so that was that was the way i kind of continued to to be involved with with my traditional ways you know I was singing on my own uh, calling my dad my grandparents and, and talking in our native tongue 
and still having that, even though they weren't physically there, you know, it, it was, they were still helping me. Shihei, now settled into the Colorado lifestyle, still felt a disconnect between what he was accustomed to and the way that a Division I athletic department was trained to handle its student-athletes. The whole beginning, let's say, of a month is them learning how I think and how I view or my perspective of, of my surroundings. I mean, that's a lot of lost time in actually making progress with that individual. So for me, that was more of the shock, I guess, is being misunderstood in a sense. Um, and, and, and it can be frustrating. And that's why I feel like a lot of indigenous student athletes or, or students in general tend to move back home because they don't, they have, they don't have the people that can understand where they're coming from. And then you just get homesick and they just, just flee home. I started actually seeing a sports uh, psychologist or therapist by the, by like my junior or, or senior year, I think that was. But at that time, I, like, I didn't really know who to go to. Like, I know my coach was there and that's who I went to majority of the time. Like his door was always open. And he always had like an open door policy unless it was shut and you don't bother him, you know, he's doing his work. But anytime his door was open, I would knock and say, hello, Mark. I mean, like, you have a chance to talk or whatever. And it wasn't, we never talked really about running. And sometimes it would be about training and how to get better, but it was mainly how to kind of face the challenges that I was kind of going through at that time and, and kind of reassure, reassuring me that I was here for a purpose. You know, I'm here not only to be a good runner, but to prosper in my education. Like my education was going to be pivotal for me in my future. You know, running can well be there, but you know, you age and running tends to kind of <laughs> not really be there for you in the end, but your education well. So he kind of helped me with that part. Um, and then just kind of talking to me and seeing how I was doing. But I make frequent calls home, talking to my family, my parents, and they also reassure me of, of why I was there and that I worked really hard to get to that point. And I also kind of instilled a lot of my traditional life ways. I never really gave that up, but I started implementing that more, uh, my, my morning runs, you know, waking up and at least going out for three to four miles um, to go out and pray and, and, and being out there in the, in the early mornings. So that really helped me as well. Um, I kind of, I guess, shied away from that just because with the rigors of or the intensity of training at that level, you know, you go to practices. So I didn't really set time aside for myself in the mornings. And finally I, I started doing that and I got grounded and, and, and everything started to, to kind of fall back into place. Shihei was tired of the stereotypes stacked against him and decided to instead craft a new legacy for indigenous runners finding their way to collegiate track and field rosters. For me at that time in, in high school, um, my whole thing was that really pushed me to get to that next level is that, that we indigenous people were just as competitive, that we were just as strong. And I wanted to, to show that at that next level.
because I always felt like there was this stigma that we were weak and and that we're just you know deadbeat drunkards you know that's that's the, the stereotype that you hear and I wanted to beat that stereotype I wanted to show that we were strong we're still we're educated and that we could achieve goals that you know other the outside community community does you know that they can achieve so that was that was what I ran for at that time and why I chose to go to Colorado and I knew that, that I would be able to, to exemplify that. The amount of volume that I ran versus high school, I think I was running like between 60 to 65 miles a week in high school. Um, transitioning into college, I, I increased that to 10, uh, increased it 10 more miles. And by the time I was a senior junior, I was running close to 100 to 110 miles a week. Um, so preparation in that regards, yeah, I was running more volume. Uh, the intensity of the workouts were a lot higher. Um, so I had to really pay attention to my recovery, um, implementing ice baths and foam rolling stretching. Um, as far as race-wise, you know, it, it pretty much stayed the same amount of warm-up. 20 minutes um, before my races, uh, getting a good dynamic warm up, and and obviously, yeah, I would pray earlier in the in the morning. Cause some of my races were later in the day, so it was always a religious religious thing that I did every every morning. You know, <laughs> to go out and pray and and run before before my meets. Like I don't know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, just to get out there. When Shihei was running hundreds of miles a week, his caloric intake was never an issue or even a passing thought which he acknowledges also wasn't the best idea. So I would just like freaking eat everything, but I made sure that it was, it was good. I mean, the carbo, uh, the carbs, the protein, uh, making sure I had my greens, my salads, but I just pretty much ate everything at that time. I don't even know. I uh, never really kept track. I just felt that I was satiated and I was like, all right, I'm good. Um, but I should, I could have probably done a little bit better with that. But the funny thing is, but no matter how much I ate, I never gained weight. Um, it was weird. Like I was, I felt like I ate so much, but I was still a little unhealthy at that time. And I think it was just the stress of college and, and going to classes. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I probably should have paid more attention. Uh, I think I paid more attention before races, like making sure I did carbo load and then that I did take my, my protein. And, and kind of monitored that a little bit at that time. But as far as just my day-to-day, -day, I, I ate and <laughs> drank a lot of water. Oh uh, yeah, I never really kept track. At Colorado, Shihei ran the 1,500, 3,000, 5,000, and 10,000 meter and found himself at Colorado helping the Buffs to two national championship team titles in 2013 and 2014. The challenges that I faced in college kind of helped me figure out how I needed to be um, purposeful in my community community and, and how am I going to help them um, navigate I mean these challenges that we face outside the, the stereotypes I mean the, the longing to wanting to come home the lack of resources um, so it definitely being outside uh, living away from from the community definitely helped reshape our kind of brought in my perspective of the world um, 
and how does an uh, indigenous person make it out here you know how should we think and how do we kind of utilize our upbringing upbringing to be able to be a successful on the outside so and that's something that I, that's a revolving conversation within our communities as well as like how do we utilize our, our traditional life ways to be successful outside as well and which is always tough to kind of to manage you know Shihei continued running after he graduated from Colorado joining the American Distance Project a post-collegiate running program that puts athletes on Team USA and has produced four Rio Olympians. ADP, located in Colorado Springs, wasn't a huge jump geographically, but for Shihei, it meant more to be representing Native Americans among the best runners in the country. I made a trip down to Colorado Springs, and I think that was that July or August, and I was running again, and I ran with the team, and I was like, hey, I, I like it here. Like, I, like the, I like the guys. I like the group, and I think I will really fit fit in here. So yeah, we were excited to have you. So I made that transition. I made that move uh, down to Colorado Springs and was training with some of the, the 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 best athletes, with them being Kenyan and Ethiopians, and made really good friends. Uh, some of them went off to run in the Olympic Games, um, so I had the opportunity to train with them and learn a new mindset and uh, one of the things that i learned from them was patience and i think that was something that i really lacked um is being patient with my running especially patient in a, tra a training run they'd be like why are you going out so fast you know warm up your body warm up your your spirit you know and we'll start off long runs like at nine minute pace and by the end of it we'll finally be running like sub six minute pace and and that was a really good thing for me to have was to learn my patience you know learn to be patient and uh, yeah that's kind of how I got started with with uh, ADP and then being a post-collegiate uh, professional training group. Running with ADP allowed Shihei to channel his love for running into training runs for marathons and the Olympic trials. He was setting consistently improving paces and thriving in Colorado Springs until he wasn't. That was probably one of the toughest times of my life is that I was training, I was training really well. And then I ran a race as a, as part of my training program because I was gearing up for a half marathon in Philadelphia. This was in October of 2015. Uh, the race was going to be held on Halloween, October 31st in, in Philadelphia. And I was running a cross-country race in Boulder, actually, the Rocky Mountain Shootout on, I think, the first Saturday of October. So I ran, and I was, I was really hitting really good times in my training and gearing up to qualify for the trials. Like the, my, my debut would have been the Olympic marathon tri trials um, if I were to have qualified. So I ran this race in Colorado, and I was running up a hill. They call it Jawbone Hill. And it was the last part of the race, the last mile. And I just felt my quad just get super tight. And I kind of just hobbled through the finish. And I thought it was just like a muscle strain. So I, I started training again. And I was like, all right, I'm hitting my times, whatnot. But when Philadelphia came, 
there's just something different about my body that I just couldn't understand. You know, I, I started the race and slowly my, my, the tightness of my quad just slowly started creeping and creeping and creeping. And I was on pace to qualify. I think we we're running like 453 minute miles. And by the time I got to the ninth, 10th mile, my leg just was on fire. It was like somebody just took a, a needle and then just pulled out all the energy from my leg and it just got so heavy like I was like what the fuck is going on you know sorry excuse my language but I was so frustrated and I just remember going through the, the finish line very disappointed looking at the time and I was like a minute off from qualifying and I was like this fucking sucks you know I was just so pissed off and the there was like a photographer at the end of the, the race that was taking pictures and he took my picture or she took my picture and I could, I don't, I don't remember my expression at the time, but I saw the photos after and just seeing how emotionally pissed off or how I was just feeling at that time. It was like, I was just like sad and hurt and I never <laughs> really like to look at that photo I see it every now and then when I look at running photos of myself online but that was just something that I would like to forget even though I just missed that qualifier and then you know I tried to to go see physical therapists after tried to rehabilitate the injury after that race and every time it was I was I was just encouraged by a physical therapist that it was going to get better it was going to get better but i started doing my own research and i was like this is more serious than just the muscle strain i said this seems like this is a nerve issue the tests came back as nerve impingement ending shihei's training indefinitely he launched into rehab but it didn't help the sudden loss of a huge part of what he prioritized in his life the fact like you're talking about seeing my teammates still working out at a high intensity, like just got the, the better of me, you know, I, I didn't know what to do. And that really started messing with my emotions, messing with my, my, my mentality. And I got really depressed at that time. I got really stressed out. I, I was really depressed that even after people started qualifying for the trials, I, didn't even pay attention to results anymore. I was just so bummed out. Like I still had the motivation to want to compete and train, but my body was just not allowing me to do that. And I think that's where me trying to continue to push, I just started hurting myself even more emotionally and mentally. My professional career was short-lived. I think I only competed like a year and a half. Um, but part of that year and a half, I was still I was dealing with that injury, uh, nerve impingement. Um, uh, yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> it, it sucks. Uh, it still kind of sucks, but right now I, I found healthier ways to deal with it. Uh, and I'm still running, but not as not as at like at that high level. But I, I found my joy for it still and, and taking my time, being gentle with myself. In 2016, at 25, Shihei found himself moving home, suffering with depression and anxiety, and contemplating his next step. It was really 
tragic for me to look back at myself during that time and seeing what I put my body and my family through. I mean, and, and possibly also how I communicated when I was intoxicated, you know, and I just felt like at that time, my voice wasn't being heard. Like, I felt like I had to, to yell. I mean, like my parents were always there and supportive, but that was something that they were also kind of misguided about on how to support somebody that was going through a challenge in their life. Because um, for me, I were, I feel like I was always taught to like be a man and to be strong, but you can only be so strong and, and so manly up to a certain point. After finally rebuilding my emotions and getting in tune with why I was putting myself through those, those experiences, I finally was able to say sorry to my, my body, myself, my, 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 my emotions, my mental being, and, and apologizing to myself for, for putting myself through that. And then being able to sit down with my family and being like, I take full accountability for, for what I put you guys through. And, it, and I'm sorry that I, I worried you. I'm sorry that I worried my, my younger brothers if I didn't come home or that I was either heavily intoxicated at that, at that time, you know, and being emotional, you know, being vulnerable, vulnerable. And, and I often communicated with my, my, my family too. Like we got to find better ways on how to support one another. It took moving back home with his family for Sheehy to realize that he didn't need to run competitively on a world stage in order to make a difference for his culture and his community. So this is where my culture and my upbringing kind of comes into play. Um, when I was back in my community after several years of being home, it was in 2019 that um, we have elections every year for tribal officials on the traditional aspect and on the government aspect. So when I was appointed to be a tribal official on the traditional traditional side of things, I was um, third in command. There's the, the two main leaders and then myself. And that was like an eye-opening moment for myself. Like, man, I, I'm in a role, role that I have to help keep my community safe to make sure that our traditions and our dances, our songs are being carried out throughout the year. That's where my mindset started to change, started to shift. And that's when I started to take better care of myself was to know, and knowing the fact that I have the opportunity to really learn more, a deeper aspect of my, my, my cultural life ways than what I was always taught. Um, and yeah, that was very eye-opening for me. I, I learned a lot that year. And that's when, yeah, my whole viewpoint started to shift. And that's when I started to feel like I got to care for, how am I going to care for my youth? What what am I going to bring for them? What am I going to give them that's going to help, help them succeed? 
Shihei decided to use his physiology degree and apply to medical school. After being on the other side of injury, coupled with a lacking reservation healthcare system, he realized his path. The degree I, I came, I have now, integrated physiology, really is a, a stepping stone for me for medical school. Like all the prereqs that I need for medical school come from that degree. And I started, I, I decided to go into medical, uh, to apply to medical school actually the past uh, past year. And, and thinking about the reasons why was that it was set up, set up my family and my community to have a better um, opportunities, you know, um, to have a doctor on the reservation that can can be an asset to the community and have them be feel more assured that they can have proper care as well. Um, and that's just a small part of it. But the bigger part of it is once I get my degree, I want to be an advocate for better health care for indigenous com communities throughout the Southwest, throughout the nation because uh, we have a very low quality quality of health care. And I mean, the rates, the, the average um, life expectancy in the nation is, is 75 years of age. And for Native Americans, it's five years less than that. So that's one of the reasons why I also want to, to go into this, this field to, to better cater to my community and help with uh, getting better health care. There are fewer than 300 Native American doctors throughout the nation, and Shihei says that with an area of the country that includes so many tribal communities, access to quality health care, physical and mental, is out of reach. It's lacking, you know, especially coming from New Mexico. There's 20 uh, tribal communities, indigenous communities throughout. Uh, there's 19 in, in New Mexico and one in uh, Texas. So, I mean, this, this whole region, we have a lot of indigenous communities that when they go see a doctor, they're either misunderstood or misguided or taken advantage of. So I want to be able to break that when, when, I'm, when I get into to that higher level of, 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 of the, the medical scene, you know. The one thing that it comes down to that I didn't also explain is that there's so much historical trauma in our communities through colonization and that culture change being beaten into our, our, our past generation. And it just kind of goes to uh, generation to generation to generation. So this is a lot of generational trauma and, and, trying to break that cycle as well so and this comes back to finding those resources you know finding healthy ways to to deal with our traumas and and finding yeah just finding that support now that shihei is in a position to speak for the zia pueblo he's focused on tribal policy as it relates to the federal government he's a committee member on the all pueblo council of governors which affords him the opportunity to speak with Washington on current trends, sovereignty issues, and the crafting of health policies which cater to his community. His view on running now is less about competition and PRs, and more about carrying on Pueblo traditions for his daughter's generation. He also shares his Colorado anecdotes to teach the youth how to carry themselves outside of the reservation. 
I always use running as a way to inform, especially my community members, as well as, I mean, the youth. The youth is the biggest point, the, the biggest target that I have is making sure that they have the knowledge of what they might experience going into college or going into high school outside of the community. Like you're gonna face challenges where your, 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 your peers, your classmates or, and your teacher are not going to understand and, and how to advocate for themselves at the same time, finding the proper language and, and making sure that their voices are being heard and that they're being understood. Um, so anytime that we go out for runs, you know, I will let them know, inform them like the challenges that I face and how I handled them. And hopefully that they can find either you can, they can use the same experience in, in, in ways that I've handled or they can make changes of what fit them. Um, but to always make sure that they, they go out and, and, and pray as well. And, and knowing that their ancestors, that their people are behind them every step of the way. And now for me, it's just, Nowadays, when I run, it, what, what I run for is just for that prayer. And, and I think the why I always ran for prayer too, but now it's just kind of being in balance and being at a, at a calm level, you know, not, I'm not as competitive and the intensity is not as high right now um, just because I'm dealing with my injury. So now it's just kind of like the beast is asleep. <laughs> the beast is asleep right now and, and he's just kind of taking his time and kind of hibernating um so it's just kind of getting in tune with with my surroundings again and just enjoying it right now shihei is an advocate for indigenous voices and is working to create more opportunities like the ones he had to the future generations he founded the native runner which holds coaching workshops for indigenous youth you can learn more about the native runner at the link in the show notes and on instagram at the native runner the link to watch run to the east is right under it Dylan also asked that anyone who felt moved by his story please donate to the following charities, all of which help indigenous underserved populations. Wings of America, Running Medicine, and the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women. As always, these three are linked as well. Thanks so much for tuning into the 15th episode of Closer Mentality. I'm your host, Julia Mellett. While you're over on Instagram following Dylan's work, follow us at Closer Mental on Instagram and Twitter. If you have an idea for an episode or would like to tell your story, send us a direct message. Tune in next Wednesday when I bring on Corey Camp to talk about competitive swimming and the issues that come with leaving a sport that you still have access to. See you next week.